This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Boom, and welcome everybody to this episode of Coming Home with John Allen, the radio program, and Coming Home with John Allen, the podcast. We're coming at you from two different platforms here today, and I am extremely blessed fortunate, happy to have Benjamin with me today. This has been something I've been wanting to do for quite some time. How are you doing, Benjamin? I'm doing fine, John. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing well. It's uh, the holiday season. Um, The way I look at it, whether people celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or none of the above, uh, there's nothing wrong with getting into a spirit of of giving, uh, a spirit of brotherhood. to me, that's what the holiday season is all about. So that's right. Especially, especially after the past few years we've been having, I think it's kind of necessary that we celebrate something, you know? You know, that's a very good point, um, especially because of the way things have been going for the last few years. You know, we're two Americans over here in Norway, but we, we have our eye back on our home nation and we see yeah. what's going on. How do you feel about that? Uh, to me, there's just this weird sense of helplessness yeah. being over here and just watching all that craziness going on back home. But actually, I don't feel helpless, John, because I, I like uh, follow quite a few programs that are actually working to to make changes. And, and there's one uh, nonprofit organization called I Can. It's like I Consent, uh, Informed Consent Action Network. Okay. And I, I've been I've been donating to them. So I think the key is that ah. we have to be active. We have to be active. And I've been donating to them and they have been fighting these lawsuits against all of these illegal mandates, against all of these illegal school board decisions. So like I don't feel helpless. I feel good because like I've, I feel like I've been on the winning side and I really feel like the majority of the people are against all of these illegal mandates, all these things that are going on, but like the media is not showing it. So it it, it can make you feel helpless because they will cover some other stories. But yeah, I don't feel that way. If we were to, if we were to end the show right now, it would be a success just because you said that. I've gone from from feeling hopeless to feeling optimistic. Yeah, (laughs) you just have to be part of the just because of what part of the causes that you believe in. You know, you got to support the causes you believe in. And that's a that's a reminder, uh, uh, people, to anybody who's listening. You've got to get involved. You can just sit back and be depressed and frustrated and angry, or you can get involved. You know, I try to do that through my show. And I tell you, it's 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 an up and down thing. Sometimes I'm really motivated. Sometimes I'm really frustrated. But yeah. it's comments like what you just made that bring me back around and motivate me. Yeah. So thank That's you good. for that. So You're again, yeah, again, no if problem. we were to end the show right now, <laughs> if we were to just have like a, a, a two minute clip of just you saying that, that's enough. Right there. Uh, I'm happy I could help. Hey, thank, thank you. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Yeah. You know, you are a really inspiring uh, person to me. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the work that you have done the last few years up at Svalbard? Uh, if you can take us back to what brought you up to Svalbard yeah. and then just Tell your story and bring us up to where you are today. I would like to go a little further back and just speak sure. about my life in the States, if sure. possible. Sure, and absolutely. And just introduce myself. I'm Benjamin Vidmar, and uh, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, in the USA. Um, I, it was a very interesting city, and like I kind of moved all around a lot because my parents got divorced very young, so I spent a lot of time at different houses and, and that kind of situation. So, um, I, like... 
I have to say Cleveland, now that I really miss it. At the time, I always wanted to, to go overseas when I was growing up. And I can remember being in high school, sitting in a class like my senior year. or I, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but I was always looking. We had this huge world map in the front of the class. And I would just always stare at that map and just look at all of the countries around the world and just wonder, like, I wonder what it's like there. I wonder what it's like there. And like half the time, I wouldn't even be paying attention to what the teacher was saying. I'm just looking at this map, dreaming about going places. From an early age. And, yeah. And I had I have I had like uh, because my I'm mixed. So my dad is white. My mom's black. And and we we grew up in very like multicultural neighborhoods. So I've always had friends from like all over the world, basically, yeah. you know, we just, it was a very diverse kind of th way that I grew up. And um, yeah, so I got to see both sides, all the sides of, of everything, basically. And that's kind of like what I think contributed to me being who I am is just the parents that I had, the, the way that we grew up and like, we didn't have much, we weren't like wealthy or anything like that. No. But we, we made the best of what we had. And I really have to give credit to my mother, uh, Mia and my grandmother, Catherine. They are the most foodie people that I have ever met anywhere I've been in the world. I've never met people like my mom and my grandmother. They would always eat good. No matter how much money we had, they would go buy fresh fish. We never ate frozen fish. Really? I didn't eat frozen. I didn't eat frozen fish until I started working on ships until I moved to Svalbard. That's when I started to eat frozen fish. Before that, we would go to the market. We would buy fresh fish every day. I remember going with my grandmother. This was like back in the 90s, I guess, 80s, 90s, when we would go to like in the East Cleveland. They had this Chinese uh, kind of butcher. They would butcher the chickens for you there. You would go. They yeah. butcher the chicken. You take home a fresh chicken. And I would just remember that experience and just how serious they were about food and how we would like go every day to the west side market we would buy our food from the it was just like my mom had her garden we i just grew up with a very foodie family you know you're so reminding me of, of a few because i'm from ohio as well yeah, uh, yeah for, further akron, south right? yeah. Well, outside of akron little, little yeah, yeah. country town called norton but yeah. as you speak about the markets in cleveland and as you speak about the fresh fish in Cleveland, it's reminding me that yes, there was the opportunity for fresh fish, uh, fresh fish uh, in the North Coast, Ohio, up against Lake Erie. There, Cleveland is a foodie town. People yes, sleep is. on Cleveland, but it's a foodie town. We have all the different neighborhoods. We have all the different cultures. So That's Cleveland right. is definitely a foodie town. That's you know? right. That's right. I'm glad you said that. That's a good reminder yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so like just the way we, we grew up, my mom had a garden. It was just always part of me, just food. But I kind of yeah. took it for granted. You know, you just every holiday we get together, they yeah. would just cook, make this delicious food. And like my grandmother was very strict. So she wouldn't let us in the kitchen when she was in there. Like I wanted to learn. I wanted to see. And she wouldn't let kids in there. She would always kick us out. So it was kind of hard to to learn from her. But um, yeah, it just kind of inspired me. And my mom was uh, also married. My stepfather was from Italy. So he was a very foodie guy as well. And like, I remember when I was like going to school and like all the kids would have these perfect little white bread sandwiches and, you know, and, and these cute little lunches. And my stepfather would go to the baker every day, buy fresh bread, and he would get like mortadella, all of these beautiful Italian sliced meats yeah. from the butcher. And like, I would go with him. So this was an experience, but I was embarrassed of that stuff. Like I was oh, eating good because, the, because really? the sandwiches were huge. The sandwiches were huge and he yes. would wrap them in paper. Okay. And like, yeah. I felt weird, you know, I felt weird, but like, it was different. It, it was different. Yeah. There, not yeah. everybody and, you know, would eat like that. No, because everybody had like perfect, you know, the white yeah. bread loaves. And, and it was just like, it was just weird. But at the time I was embarrassed. 
and like I would just kind of hide it and try, you know yeah. it's just how we are it's yeah. like the culture makes us like that when sure. you're when you're doing something different you feel weird sure you know it's like sure. yeah it's just normal yeah. to feel like that yeah so like it's just basically what I'm trying to say is that like I had all of these beautiful food experiences and just you know, it didn't take much money. It just made me realize that we didn't have to have much money to eat like that. And like my family, we wouldn't eat typical American dinners like uh, turkeys, hams. We would eat like seafood, like Italian style yeah. New Year's and Christmases and calamari and yeah, yeah. like just amazing things, fish soup. So this really kind of led me to two. I came. I don't know. I went in 1997. I traveled to Malaysia. I actually wanted to go to Africa because I just wanted to leave the States. I wanted to see the world and I wanted to go to Africa. But I had a lot of African friends that were like, no, we don't recommend it. It's a very, it's a very different life there. And, and you know, because I was very naive and I was very innocent. And, you know, I guess that's what they were thinking. I would, I, I could easily get rolled, you know, I could easily yeah. get taken advantage of. So they were like, no, we don't recommend it. But I was going to go anywhere. I didn't care. And then um, they were like, no, no, we have friends in Malaysia who are at this university and we can help you get there because you want to. They knew I wanted to travel. Okay. So I ended up in, I ended up in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, 1997. That's I was amazing. A student. How, now, how, old a were student. You? how old were you at that time? Uh, I was like 18, 19, okay. like something like that. Yeah, I had just graduated. I graduated in 2000. And, oh, shit. Which year did I graduate? Uh, I think 2000 and, I'm confused. 2002. No, it's 1996. I think I graduated. 1996. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, it's a gutsy move to go that far to that yeah, country. I, I had to, John, I had yeah. to, I had to go. I felt like for me, I don't know how you felt when you were back home, but I think it's more difficult being mixed in the States because for me, I feel in the States, everything is about race. We use so much energy. We're so consumed with race. Yeah. And it's easy when you're one or the other because then the poles are set. But when you're mixed, it's like yeah. you never fit in here. You never fit in there. It's like, you know, and then it's like I have to work three times as hard. And then I get confused. OK, yeah. well, I don't fit here. I don't fit here. But my dad is like this. My mom is like this. Well, and I, grew up, it, it, I grew up in a mixed family as well, so I can identify yeah, with that. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. challenging, you yeah. know, and I always felt growing up in states, especially in Cleveland. I mean, it's, like I said, it's a beautiful foodie city, but it's probably one of the most racist places in the world. Cleveland uh, is extremely segregated. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so like for me growing up, I, I felt I used so much energy dealing with race and dealing with, you know, oh my God, can I do this because I look like this? Can I go there? Because it just took a lot of energy out of me and I didn't like it. And that's why I wanted to go. That's why I wanted to leave. And so then I went to Malaysia. I got accepted at a university there. And then I went there for one year. But the thing was, I just took, I, I really didn't plan which program I would, would study. So I kind of got accepted for accounting. And I, I'm not an accountant kind of person. Okay. Like, no. So for me, it was like I went, I was excited to get accepted, but I wasn't really happy with the program. So like I did, I stopped going to classes and I was just hanging out and I started to work and I was like teaching English. I um, was working as a server in a Turkish restaurant and like it just was experience a lot. It was a great experience, regardless if I went to school or not. I just met so many interesting people. I saw so many interesting things. And then I um, was working in this Turkish restaurant. And like, of course, a server, you have to be very you know, serious and yeah, you're yeah. in front of the guests. Yeah. But I would look in the kitchen and this was back in the days, like, you know, when, when the chefs, they were smoking in the kitchen, these like Turkish guys, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. they were smoking in the no kitchen, laughing. No yeah. <laughs> <laughs> laughing, having fun. And like, I was just looking back like, wow, these guys are having all the fun, you know, like we're out here being serious and they're having all the fun. 
So somehow it was like 11 months later, almost one year, and my mom contacted me. I was like, because I was a mama's boy, like, you know, so we basically I did what my mom are, said. Yeah, I did what my mom said, you know, no matter are. how old. Yeah. So she was like, well, what the hell are you doing? Are you in school? Are you not in school? I said, no, I'm not in school. I'm just working and hanging out. She said, working and hanging out. You can do that here. Get your ass back home. So I went I went back home after like 11 months. And then I was trying to, you know, figure out what to do with my life after that. And it came down to two choices. I don't know how it came down to these two choices, but my stepfather, he was a mason, concrete mason in the union. So it was I could either get a union job with him or I could go to culinary school. I don't know how it came to that, okay. those choices, yeah. but that's what I had to choose between. And I said, well, you know, it's nice. They make a lot of money in the union, but I don't really like working outside in the summer in that heat. I was like, yeah. that's not really, that's yeah. not really my style. So I was like, I'm going to go to culinary school. So then it was in motion. I went, I got uh, somehow planned that I got accepted to the school in Pennsylvania. The It was called Pennsylvania Culinary okay. at the time that I went there. But then I think they changed the name to Le Cordon Bleu. But then they went out of business and they closed down some years oh, after that. Okay. But, but anyways, I went to school there. I think that was in 1998. Yeah, 1998. I was there in Pennsylvania. I finished what, the school. What city, was, in, what city in Pennsylvania? Pittsburgh. 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 Okay. Yeah, right in downtown Pittsburgh. They had this big culinary school yeah. there. And it was amazing. That was a really amazing experience. And then I met some really cool people, went to the culinary school. And then I finished culinary school and I moved back to Cleveland. And then I started to work because, of course, when you finish school, you're, you're supposed to work. So I was working like crazy. I, I remember that I had to work very hard because I married very young and I met my wife in Malaysia. And then I went back home and then we kind of kept in touch. We weren't married at the time, but we kept in touch. Okay. And then she she wanted to come with me. So then we got married. I went over there. We got married and she came back to uh, U.S. with me. And then, um, yeah, it was just it was an it was it was interesting experience because she was like a very uh, her family. I don't know what it was, but she really missed her home so much. And, you know, I don't know if you have much experience with like Asian people, but it's hard for them to eat other food. They can only eat their food. That's you know? very true. I, I lived on yeah. Okinawa, Japan for two, two and a half years. So, yeah, that is one thing that I noticed, uh, yeah. not just there on Okinawa, but other Asian people. Uh, you know, in in that in in uh, in the Far East, they're very. And I, I don't mean it in any bad way. No, I don't no, mean no. It but they are. No. They 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 have their food. That's what yeah. they eat. Period. Yeah. 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 So it's like you know, I'm thinking like. For, especially coming from a foodie family, we can try this, I can try this, but she couldn't try anything. And no. she would always complain that, oh, you know, I need this, I need my food. And then she missed her family. So it's like, it didn't work out so well. Right. Um, yeah, we had we had three beautiful children, though. We had a boy who's now 22, Amir, and then we had twins, a boy and a girl, Ali and oh, Layla. Wow, they twins. live in, they, yeah. yeah, they live in Tromsø. So Layla's in university now. And Ali, he's a chef apprentice. He's working at the Mott Holland restaurant there. So it's a beautiful were, city, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm so happy that it worked out for them. And that was one of the main reasons why I had to stay so long on Svalbard was because I wanted them to finish school. I didn't want to keep, you know, bouncing let's, around. Let's, and, let's, let's back up a little bit, though. What what brought you to Norway? Now, you have your, yeah. your you have your wife. She's Malaysian. Yeah. You guys no, but the, OK, so then let's go back then. So, yeah, I jumped way ahead. So it didn't work out so well with her. And then she went back home. I went to spend some time in Malaysia. We left the U.S. in 2004. Five, 2005, I think it was, we left and we had moved to Malaysia and she was from the East Malaysia, Borneo. So we moved there and um, we tried to make it work. I mean, of course, in a relationship, you want to try to make sure, it work. So we, sure. we went there, we tried to make it work, but it still wasn't getting better for me. And I just felt 
kind of trapped, but I wanted to do the right thing for the kids. So I started to work at a, a cooking school there. It was like a chef school or hotel school or whatever. And then um, I didn't have an expat package, though. I had a local package. So that meant that I didn't make much money, but it was enough. Of course, if we ate rice and, you know, we lived, lived normal, yeah. like simple, then it was OK. But the, like for me, it wasn't so much about the money because I was having great experience. I was teaching English. I was like I was working at this restaurant and I was working at the school. So I've always been working very hard. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and that's what I forgot to mention about when I was in Cleveland was that I had two full time jobs. So I worked the daytime at a private club as a chef. And then I worked overnight as a baker in a bakery. Wow, in Lakewood. Man, so you were really getting your sweat on then. Yeah. Wow. Man. So that's my I've always worked. And like, yeah. you know, I had two full time jobs. And like for me. I'm jumping around here, John, but I'm, oh, it's like, man, you know, how, hey, hey, man, okay. yeah, you know how the hey, memories. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. No so format I, here. That, no format. <laughs> I have to go back to Cleveland because that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to leave. So um, like I was working like a maniac, but that's it's quite normal in the chef business. You have to sure. kind of because, you know, you don't make much money in the beginning and then right. you have to. And I had a family. I had, you know, a son already and I had to like kind of take care of everything. So then I was uh, working in the daytime at a private club, overnight at a bakery. And like a terrible day is I had to work both jobs at the same time. Yeah. Then that means I only had a few hours in between and it was no point to drive home. So I would just kind of park the car and just relax in the car and then go to the next job. And then like a, a good day would be if I only had to work one, but then like a perfect day would be if I'm free from everything, which was very rare. I can so normally... Normally, I'm just like parked in the car in between jobs and I would just read these like magazines like um, permaculture magazines or like um, uh, like backwoods country, like where they you self-sufficient people who live off the grid. OK, and, and so you got an interest for that. Yeah. Okay. So, But I would read it, John, like science fiction. I'm thinking I'm working 20 hours a day. How can people just do this? How can someone right. just go and just be off grid or just go to Brazil and take these courses? And I'm like, so when I was reading, I, I couldn't figure it out because of my life, I'm just, I'm running, you know, I'm running. I, could, I couldn't imagine stopping what I was doing. Right, and you're in the middle of this big, this big industrial city and here you're reading yeah. about people being off the grid, you know, further out yeah. in nature. And yeah, you know, so it was always my dream to go to Brazil and take this two week course and learn all yeah. this stuff. But I'm thinking, man, like, when do I have time, you know? Yeah. And over there, as you know, we don't have this like four weeks holiday like they have here, you know? Right. <laughs> you on holiday and your boss can still call you and, and you know, and still bother you. you know? I know people, Otherwise, if you don't. <laughs> I know people back home who are in their middle 30s, early 40s, and they've never, never had more than a five, six day vacation. No. That's Because sad. you can get fired, man. You yeah. can get fired. You Absolutely. know, you can get fired for not. Yeah. So like, I'm, I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, how can people do this? Like, it doesn't seem real. So I would just read them and I enjoyed reading them because I would see the beautiful pictures and get all these ideas. So like, that was kind of my life. I was working like two full-time jobs. I would read these magazines in between and then I would go home and take care of the family and, and do all of this. So then when we finally moved to Malaysia in 2005, I got the job at the cooking school. Um, you know, it was cool. But th like I said, I didn't have an expat package, you know, which means tax free U.S. dollars. And right. yeah. Uh, yeah, for people who don't understand what that means. So normally when a U.S. or someone from the West works in, in the places like Malaysia, then you get a different package where it's U.S. dollars. You get paid in U.S. dollars and it's tax free. Yeah. I didn't get that package. No. So 
um, I just had the local package, which means that I got paid in the local money and then I paid tax. A little more struggle, a little more struggle. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But anyways, like like I said, it was experience for me and um, I made the most of it. But the thing that I couldn't deal with was, I don't know how you were in in Asia, but when I was there, uh, it's normal to pay late in Asia. So normally people get paid two weeks late. I don't know why, but that's just how it is. And for me, because I would complain and I wasn't from there, then it would be like one week late that yeah. they would pay me. Yeah. But I, I mean, it's one thing you're going to pay me peanuts, but I want my peanuts on time. Give you me know my what peanuts I mean? on time. <laughs> <laughs> so like they would pay late. And like after three months of it, I just kind of got fed up yeah. and I started to look around for other opportunities. And then I saw, I don't know how I found it, but I saw this one opportunity that said work in Antarctica. And I said, wow, what is this? You know, and so like, you've already you've already made this big change from Cleveland to Malaysia. And now yeah. all of a sudden this falls in front of you to make another change from Malaysia yeah, yeah, yeah. to the to the Arctic. Yeah. Tell me about yeah, this. Yeah. And I have to say also from Cleveland, like I have to say, I, I never really liked winters when I was in Cleveland. I always liked the sun. I always liked the summer. Cleveland is brutal. Yeah. Yes. Cleveland so I wanted to get my, brutal in the wintertime. My goal was to get away from the winters. Okay. So that's why Malaysia sounded very good to me. It was very <laughs> tropical, yeah. you know, and that's why it was okay. And then when I saw the Antarctica thing, I said, okay, what is this about? Because I like, I didn't know much about Antarctica, to be honest. I had never really heard of it. I didn't know anything about the Arctic. I didn't really care because those were colder places in my right. mind. You yeah. know what I mean, so I never really invested time. <laughs> Colder than Cleveland. But I was curious because this was a ship work and they were looking for like hotel staff to work on expedition cruise ships going from Ushuaia and and Argentina to Antarctica. Wow. So I sent my details, but you know, it's a lot of scams out there. So I didn't know if it was real. I didn't know if it was what it was, but I just sent it anyway, because that's kind of how I am. Like I'm not afraid to take a chance. And that's kind of why things have kind of happened the way they did because I I just try. I'm like, whatever, If if it works, if it doesn't work. And then I sent my details and then the lady contacted me back straight away. So that's what made me my like meter started to like, I thought it was something fishy, you know, because like yeah. straight away she contacted me back and uh, she was like, yeah, I would like to interview you for this uh, position and blah, blah. I guess they were desperate, you know, so I guess it's hard to find people to do these kind of things because but before that I didn't know. But now I see that. But it, but it kind of makes sense because not there's there's very few people who have that sense of adventure that yeah, you have. I guess you're right. You know, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I moved from the, the, the States from my place back home. Uh, here to Norway and people lost their minds. They couldn't believe mm. I was doing a sim- what I see now as a simple move, but yeah. something like yeah. what you were doing already coming from Cleveland to Malaysia. And now this job opportunity in the Antarctic, I get that. I get it that people kind of, yeah, there's, there's not a lot of people who think in that way. There's not a lot yeah. of people with that adventurous mindset. Uh, you know, I think what it is, is that cause I, I noticed that people only re- Think of people like from New York or from California doing those type of things. They just don't expect us to do those kind of things, right, you know. Right. But I think there's a lot of people who who want to do that, but yeah. it's it's more challenging to do it when you're from the smaller places, I guess, or when you're from like places like Ohio or yeah. I, I don't know. I'm sure people do it, but people do it, but it's just not as yeah. common as one would think. But I will say yeah. this: the people who you know, I look among uh, the other Americans here in Norway, or not even just Americans, just just expats from other countries here in Norway, and and we're different. I'm not saying we're better, but we are different. There is a sense of adventure. There is this uh, entrepreneurial uh, spirit that we have. There is this uh, 
artistic. You know, there's a lot of musicians and and painters and stuff who do that kind of stuff. So I think it's a different mindset that that makes yeah, us definitely. a little bit unusual to the average people. I don't want to say average. That makes it sound like I'm putting them down, but to, it, it it sets it kind of sets us apart, and people look at us a little bit sideways when we make yeah. these rather dramatic decisions. I agree. That yeah. that that's a good way to sum it up. Yeah. What was I saying, John? Uh, um, the, the 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 job interview for the for the Antarctic. Yeah. yeah. So she contacted me, and she was like, "Yes, we want to interview you for this position. We're looking for people to start working uh, from. I think it was they start in October." because it's summer there now. So they start from October and finish in like February or March or something like that. So yeah, I was just um, interviewing with her and then she said, okay, great, everything looks good, you're hired. And I was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm hired? Just like that? She was like, yeah, just like that. I was like, okay. And she was like, do you wanna be the head chef or the sous chef? And I was like, the head chef, of course. Of course. She said, okay. <laughs> She's like, okay, you're hired. We're going to send you all the details. And I thought it was a joke, John. I thought it was a joke. I was like, okay, yeah, okay, great. Send everything it, to it me. It sounds like it happened really quick. What kind of a time, it did. What kind of time frame are we talking about from the time you applied to the time you actually got the offer? I, I would say weeks. I don't remember exactly, but I would but say short, days to weeks, days to weeks. That's John. just mind blowing, yeah. man. That's because I think a, it was a short, I think it was a short deadline. Yeah. So I think it, I, I can't remember exactly, but well, it happened even, very quickly. Even with your adventurous attitude that spirit of wanting to explore i can imagine it took you for a spin when yeah. all of a sudden this opportunity <laughs> is here in front of you yeah and that's how life is you know that's what it i is. find out that things don't take they don't take it like how we think it does it's going to work out well, we you know? have to get out there and make things happen you know you were searching for opportunities and i believe that that's as, as simple as that is it's very difficult to do at the same time because people get very, um, you know, go back to when we first started talking now during this conversation where I said, oh my gosh, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I expressed my frustration with the world situation today. And that that is an example of me looking inward and not keeping my eyes open on yeah. the horizon, looking That's for true. opportunity, looking for brightness in the darkness. That's so true. it's That's so true. easy to miss out on simple things. And it's really very simple to see an opportunity in a newspaper or wherever you saw that job opportunity yeah. and apply for it. That is a simple process. But our own closed-mindedness, negative thinking can cause us to not see these opportunities. That's right. Am I right? That's a great way to sum it up. That's a great way. So, so, so you, then have, you have that adventurous spirit that you... Uh, uh, it, it guides you. It pulls you through times where you could be frustrated because I can imagine it was not easy in Malaysia. I can imagine that no. you had a lot of frustration there, yeah. but you were yeah, still yeah. looking for opportunities. And that That's true. is what sets yeah, you, you apart. You made me remember it now because yes. I, I never really, you know how we block the things that are so they're painful Amen. to us. And, and when you said that, it just kind of opened up some emotion. I was like, yeah, I was, I was really like, I, I was going every day to the internet cafe looking for jobs yeah. every day. When I would finish work, I would go. So it wasn't like when you say it like that, it didn't come so easy because it took me a lot of searching. Yeah. But it, but the way it happened, I say it was like easy because it was surprising to me how 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 long it took to, to get there and then how quick it moved after that. Yeah. If, if it's a good way to yeah. sum it up. So she said, yeah, we're going to send you all the details to, to your email and this and that. And we're going to send you tickets. We're going to fly you to Cape Town and then you will meet the ship and you will sail down to Montevideo. And she's saying and I'm just like, yeah, 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 because I didn't believe it. I'm, I'm not lying. I didn't didn't believe it i thought it was a joke i can imagine and then yeah. sure enough 
They sent the electronic tickets to my email, the itinerary, the contract, everything came. And, and I was that's like, when it hit. shit. Is that I was when like, it this hit is you? real. Yep. I was like, this is real. I'm going. So I was like, then I got excited after that. I signed the contract. We, like, I, I did everything. And what was nice about it was that they like um, they used Russian research vessels. So it was European companies and like European and the first company was an Australian company, but they would subcharter Russian research vessels. Uh-huh. So that meant that the crew was Russian. Okay. The crew had the responsibility for the ships. So I was just a passenger. I would be on the passenger manifest, but we would take care of the passengers. I see. So I, sh- I, see. I shared I shared the galley with the Russian chefs and they cooked for the crew and we took care of the passengers. Okay. But I'm really happy. It ha- I'm really happy it happened that way because it's a difference when when your crew like you have so many rules you you can't mix with the passengers. So I wasn't crew. I was staff, and that meant that I got a bar allowance. I could go to the bar, and then I got an allowance in the bar. I could mix with the guests. I could mix with the crew because it's also you know the the guests can't mix with the crew. I see. So you were in a position the, where you had access to both groups of people. Okay. Staff can go anywhere. We had like all access. So it was amazing. And then like we got paid in US dollars and then we got a daily rate. And then we also got tips. So it's like the your salary would just go to the bank account. You wouldn't yeah. see that to the end. They would yeah. just pay you all this money at the end and we would live off of our tips. Sure. So it was it sure. was amazing. So they flew me to Cape Town. I met the ship there. It was a small ship, like I think 100 passengers or something like that. And we sailed down to Montevideo. It was amazing. It was just an amazing experience. And I was there for five months and I was the head chef and I had like two assistants. And that's what, what started it, you know? Yeah, what that, that's experience. what started it. That yeah. alone, that alone is a heck of an experience. I mm. get excited listening to that, man. That's <laughs> So then I was like um, doing that for five months. We would we sailed down to Ushuaia. It's like the southernmost city in the world. It's like right at the tip of Argentina. And then it's like a two day sail to Antarctica from there. And then we are like six days. We move around Antarctica, different landing places, and then two days to go back back to port. So you do that. We had like that's a 10 day trip. And then we had like one or two 18 day trips. When you start in Ushuaia, then you go to like South Georgia and the Falkland Islands. Yeah. Yeah. Then you sell that way and then you sell down and then you sell home or, you know, something like that. That was an 18 day trip. So we did that for five months and they were quite happy with what I, you know, what we did. And so they were like, "Okay, you did a great job. Um, Where do you want to go? Because it's like they have to fly you to the ship and they have to fly you away from the ship. Okay. so I was like, oh, send me back to to Asia. Send me back to Malaysia, of course, because then I got paid in U.S. dollar. I could just go back and just relax and you live the life, you know. So they were like, "Okay, we're going to fly you back. But they're like, do you want to go to the Arctic for the next season? We want you to work with us again. I said, oh, okay, sure. So they had two ships. They had one that went to the Canadian Arctic and one that went to the Scandinavian Arctic. And that was the one that went to Svalbard. So I was like, yeah, sure. So then I, they flew me home. I had a two-month holiday. And then they flew me to Longyearbyen. And then, like, we met the ship there. And we sailed around there for two months. And then you had another break. And then you could go back to Antarctica if you wanted. So that is how I came to Svalbard for the first time. And I think that yeah. was in 1997. No, no, 2007. I'm confusing the dates here. <laughs> um, yeah, 2007 okay. was when I f- first 
Because first I went to Antarctica and then I went to the Arctic after that. And then when I first went to Longyearbyen, it was like such a strange place. And I was like, yeah. what kind of place is this? There's no trees. I have to, tell, like you, I have to tell you, one of my dreams, is, and I've, I've done a lot of things since I've been here in Norway and I, I do everything I can to enjoy myself. But one dream that I have not fulfilled yet is to set foot on Svalbard. Long, long I Yubin. highly recommend I, it. I, I really am looking forward to this part of our discussion where you tell me about yeah. your time up there. Yeah, it's it's a really special place. And it's just, um, <clears throat> I went there and I was just like, I was taking it all in. And it's just like such a beautiful place. It's like you're on another planet, actually. It's really like you're on another planet because it doesn't seem like anywhere on earth. And it was just um, no trees. It's just yeah. stone. It's cold. And, you know, we go in the summer. So I was still sticking to my plan because my plan was to follow the summers and to be where summer, yes. where it's always warm. Yes. So. In Antarctica, we only go in the summertime. Yeah. And then in the Arctic, we only go in the summertime. So right. I was still kind of sticking to my plan. And then in between, I would stay in in, in Borneo, which was beautiful. Yeah. So I was like away from the Ohio winters and I was enjoying <laughs> my life. And then I went there. We did the two-month season. And then I went back to uh, Borneo. And I think at this time, it was like getting really much more difficult between my ex-wife and I. And uh, we kind of just like separated. But of course... Okay. We, I did everything I could. To t I did everything sure. to take care of the ki my kids. You know, Absolutely. those were my kids, Absolutely. and I yeah. took care of them. So I like would send her money and spend time with them when I finished, and I would go back there and spend time with them. And then what happened with? I, went, I got another contract. I went to Antarctica again, and then uh, I'm trying to think where I met my wife. Now we met in the Arctic, I think. Yeah, we met in the Arctic because I can't remember. I think it was 2000. Anyways, my, my wife now, I'm married now to a lady and we have a daughter together yeah. and she's um, 10 years old. And we met on a ship in the Arctic um, at, at Svalbard because we worked together. No, we met. Oh, shoot, I'm confused. <laughs> I think we met in Antarctica or Arctic. I'm sorry, John. I can't remember all on the a, details. On, but a anyways, ship, though, on a ship, though, somewhere. Yeah, we met on a ship and, and like, um, yeah, we, we met in Antarctica, I think. And then she went back and I went back. Like I went back to Borneo and she went back home, but I was telling her about this Svalbard place because I, I found out like, like I found out that it was open for everybody because of the treaty. So you have people there from all, all over, over the world. The world. You, yeah. you, you don't need any uh, work visas. You don't need any visa to go there. You just go there, you find a job and you work. And another positive is that the tax is only like 16.2%. So you still make kind of the similar salaries, but you can save a lot of money. There. Yes. So it was like, it was like a very interesting thing. And I was telling her, like, she's from a big city in Russia, Kaliningrad. It's near the Poland, uh, near Gdansk, yeah. this Oblosk. Yeah. So she's from a big city. And, and when I told her, oh, we should go to this um, Longyearbyen place. And she was like, are you crazy? I can never go to that place. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, it's just a thought. I was telling her, like, the, how the people work there. Yeah. So I kind of planted the seed. And then um, somehow she got a job offer there and I got a job offer there. But I kind of chickened out because I, oh. when I found when I found out how cold it was, you know, I told you I didn't want to go to the winters. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so of course, on the ship we went in the summer, but in the winter there it can get down to minus thirty, yeah. thirty minus, you know, minus forty. So I was like, okay, maybe this is not going to work for me. So I kind of chickened out and said, I'm sorry, I can't go. You know, it's, I, I just can't do it. And she was pissed because we already like planned to take the job. Yeah. So she still yeah. she still went. She took her job. And then I started to feel kind of bad. So then I was like, okay, I mean, I can't really do it like that. So then I agreed and I took the job and I went there. 
like a month after or something. And then she started working at the base camp hotel there. And I started working as a, a cook at the Radisson hotel there. And it's like seasonal work. It's all seasonal work there mainly. So it's like from uh, February until October you okay. work. And yeah. then and then the rest of the time you travel. So yeah, that first year was so cold. I, I just remember like I would just, especially coming from Borneo, I didn't even have the proper clothes. You know what I mean? I can imagine. Oh, <laughs> man. So yeah. like I just would run to work. After work, I would run home. I wouldn't hang out around outside. I would just run and run home. Did you and have did what kind of housing did you have? Was it a house or was it an apartment complex? Like an apartment provided by the company okay. that they all, they provide the housing. It's really tough on Swalbert to, to get any kind of housing. Yeah. It's usually it's usually tied to your position. Right. So like right. if you're this position, you take the house, and then when you leave, whoever takes that position takes over the house. Basically, isn't there some? Uh, aren't there some different kind of uh, safety? issues because uh because of the polar bears yeah uh, and john everybody has to be armed at all times Am if right? you go outside of the settlement if yeah. you go outside of the town normally in the town it's not a problem because like the bears like there's like people who are further away and they know when the bears are coming and it's usually yeah. people who are oh everybody's watching for them yes. but you have to be careful because they can like there's times when they run right through the center of the town yeah but normally, uh, usually the doors are open. So if anything like that, you just run into any building. Usually the front door needs to be open. Okay. Like the main doors need to be open so you can just run in. And um, yeah, so then we um, we did, we moved there. We kind of, um, and of course she's Russian and I'm from the U.S. So otherwise it's very difficult for us in Europe unless you go through all of these hoops yes. and, you know, and get everything. But it was very easy there. We still made the money. We paid less tax. So our, our routine was that we would work, you know, February to October, and then we would just travel the rest of the year. Yeah. We, would go, we would go back to Borneo, spend time with my kids. We would do like a lot of traveling. So it was a really good life. Like we would work part of the year, travel part of the year. Well, it sounds like a beautiful life. Yeah. It was amazing. It was amazing. We were just talking about like how now it's so difficult to travel. And just we were just talking about that yesterday, how beautiful it was mm. to how the good old days when we used to be so easy to travel. So, you know, now it's totally different times. Now, maybe, the but. job, the job you were doing, the work you were doing on Swallow, but was it satisfying to you? I think so, because I enjoyed it. And it was like um, good to meet different people. And there's like, it's not cheap to go to Svalbard. It's like, you have to have some money. And it's usually like older people who come there because it's usually uh, people who've, who've done everything. I see. And then it's, that's kind of like the last thing you do. And it's the same with Antarctica because those tr cruises are expensive, you know? Mm. And it's like, normally you find people who have done everything. Because I mean... Unless somebody who really, really loves the Arctic and the polar and this and that, they come. But yeah. it's, it's not cheap. So you don't find too many younger people, especially yeah. on the cruises. My experience, that was mostly older people who, who would do it. And so we got to meet a lot of really interesting people. But living on Svalbard was kind of like living on a ship because you can't really go anywhere. You're like right. yeah. it's, a, it's a, only a flight to get in and out. Yeah. And it's like for me, it was the same like working on a ship because you work together and then the people tend to hang out together and then you get your clicks and then, you know, like, and people are always together. Yeah. So it's the same way on the ship, you know, you work and then you go to I the would bar imagine together. It's a different sense of community there because there's mm. not so much to do. It's very difficult to travel to and from. So yeah, I can imagine that you just, you, you have your work relationships, which then bleed over into yeah. the social relationships. i would imagine, from what I hear anyway, pretty much everybody gets along up there because if yeah. you come into conflict with somebody, it's, it's different because yeah. you're practically right on top of each other. So yeah. they and say it's a really open and pleasant social 
situation up there. Am I right? And the thing about it is that um, because of the dangers with the polar bears and this yes. and that, it's like one big community. Everybody's kind of, and I mean, overall, everybody's working together. And that's one thing that I really liked because I didn't experience that in any other place. And like on Svalbard, if you lose your wallet, if you lose your bank card, you lose your phone, somebody will find it and post it in the Facebook group. Okay. Like I've never been in a city where people are looking out for each other like that, yeah. you know? So it's like, and w another thing about Svalbard is that people are only there because they want to be there. Yes. You don't you don't find people who say, eh, it's okay, because they leave. Yeah. They go. So then you get this really positive energy and it's like everybody's excited. Yes. And yes. you know, and then you have this high transient population where people are always coming and going. So you always have new ideas, new energy, new people. So it can it can be good and bad because like in the beginning, it's amazing because you're meeting all these cool people. But then after a while, when you're there for so long, you start to hurt because you people are leaving all the time. So then you start to, you know, build up this kind of defense yeah. where you don't get too close to people because, you know, they're going to leave. You know? I got to tell you something. That is a real thing. That, that separation anxiety from social uh, situations and friendships. Um, I've, I got a taste of that when I was in the U.S. Marines. Mm. And people would be coming and you get close to these guys. And then all of a sudden they're gone. Yeah. And after a while, it's almost sad because after a while you kind of get to <clears throat> be, you start to become this person that doesn't invest yeah. in friendship anymore. Yeah, yeah, because it's like it takes time and energy. It does. You start it to does. say, "Why should I do it when they're just going to leave?" Yeah, you yeah. know, you start to balance. You start to weigh it. Like, and when is it worth in me those, investing? In? Yeah, and when you're in those isolated group situations, like in a military unit or or on Svalbard, friendship yeah. is different. It's more intense. Yes, it means yes. more to you, which yes. then magnifies the pain. Yes, when that person leaves, moves, That's right. or gets That's transferred. Right. Yeah. That's so right. and, and and you know it's 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 a beautiful you know I still want to go to Svalbard I don't know what kind of work I would do, but I still want to go there. But that is one thing that's in the back of my mind is that that um, that anxiety about the social situation and and how it will all just be torn apart eventually. Yeah. Just knowing that is a little it's it's a little rough. But I think you you have to look at it from a, like. I have to say, you know, when you first go, it's different than when you've been there for some time. So when you first sure. go, what I find from my experiences, those relationships that you form, you keep them forever. Like okay, some of the yeah. first people that we met when we went there, we still keep in touch with them, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's like the same I've, I've noticed from when you go on a cruise. I don't know if you've been on a cruise before. I haven't, no. Okay. No. Normally when you go on a cruise, you bond with these people and then you tend to keep in touch with them after. It's like a, like a life-changing experience, you That's know? That's true. And with, and with social media and the, you know, now things are kind of uh, cut off when it comes to travel, but in general, traveling is fairly easy in normal yes. times and we have social media, so it can be an extended friendship, even though they've moved somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So a lot of the ones we met when we first went there, we still keep in touch. I mean, we're not like best friends or anything, but like we, we still we con touch, contact. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and so, yeah. Talk to me about um, your interest in sustainable food production. Yeah. Uh, so, I had, a, I had several, not several, I had three guests from a hydroponic farming company on my podcast mm -hmm. over the past year talking okay. about talking about you know hydroponic farming and sustainable farming 
and you know how to do things a little bit different with less of a carbon footprint, less mm. destruction on society. And this is something that interested you in a certain aspect. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah. So how it happened was that I, I have to take two steps back, John, because I, I was sure. kind of leading into that, if that's sure, okay. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So the thing about, I have to go back to Svalbard, because the thing about Svalbard is that no one is really from there. Right. Everyone is from someone somewhere yeah. else. And because of how the treaty is set up and how all the countries agreed, Svalbard is, you have to extract resources. So that means everyone has to take from Svalbard. You know, otherwise you don't have any reason to be there. And also to be on Svalbard, you have to be able to take care of yourself. There's no nav, there's nav for certain people, but like you you can't stay there forever. You can't retire there. You can't, you know, you have to be able to take care of yourself. So you have a younger population there. And then when people are had enough, then they move on. Yes. So what I, as I started to go back more and more, and as we started to take more contracts there, we started to look at it like home. You know, yeah. it started to become my home. And of course, my dream was always to go back to the to the States, to Florida, because my mom had moved from Cleveland and she moved down to Florida. So okay. I, like I was spending more time in Florida I and I always loved Florida yeah. like because it's warm. And because, you know, I remember my grandmother used to take me there when I was a kid. We would go visit cousins. Yeah. And I remember how nice it was, how warm it was. So in between, like after um, in 2011, like we were up until 2011, we would always go to Malaysia to visit my kids. But after 2011, they wanted to move with me. Ah. So so the whole time they were living with their mom and then they decided they wanted to move with us. And we were a bit surprised because it was new for us. We yeah. never like we never had that experience. I was used to being this father who would send money, yeah. go spend some, go visit them and then go and do whatever the hell right. I want to do. And right. you know what I mean? Yeah. And then when they said they want to move with us, we were kind of like, well, we never like, you know, I had to speak to my wife about it, of course. And she agreed. She said, yeah, why not? Let's try. So then when they moved with us in 2011, it was a whole nother experience. Then we weren't able to travel like we used to travel right, before right, because yeah. they're in school. And, you know, it's a whole nother experience. So then it really became like my home when my kids had moved there. I, then yeah. I saw it. I saw it in a different light. Yes. You know? Yeah. And then um, they stayed with us. But it was really, you know, it's I have to be honest, Svalbard is not the easiest place It's very extreme. And we have this dark season when you have 24 hours of dark and everybody handles that differently, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so my kids, it was, it was a bit difficult for them at first. I think they stayed with us for one and a half years the first time. And then they wanted to go back to their mom. Okay. And I was thinking like, okay, you know, it's not like we live down the street. It's nice, <laughs> but you, can't, you guys yeah. can't keep going back and forth. It's, it's a lot of tickets involved. Right. So then they went back to their mom and then we, um, kind of like we're at another point where I was like, okay, up until that point, every free, all the free time I had, I would spend it in Malaysia with them. Was that hard? For I, you? Was that hard for you when they left and went back to their mother? How did you handle? Yeah, that? it was hard, but then it was also kind of like I felt that I I did my part. You know, yes. I felt like it was easy just to be the father who sends money and just like, yeah, you know this. But then after they live with us, we had one and a half years experience of being with them it's all a the time. Investment. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then I really started to realize it's not about money. It's not about um, the things that I thought it was about. You know what I mean? It's a different investment like, of love, of feelings. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, just cooking their meals yes. and just making sure they go to school. And then I started to realize, I, I started to scratch my head. Like I was sending this lady a lot of money. And like, you know what I mean? It just, <laughs> yeah. I started to calculate everything. And yeah. I was thinking, 
I really didn't need to do you know all of that. I could have just had them with me to, for the whole time. But anyways, then they went back, and then I kind of was like, okay, well, you know, they wanted to go home. They went home. So then I was at another level. And then I told my wife, well, we don't need to go to Malaysia anymore because we did we did what we needed to do. You know, like we 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 brought them here. They wanted to go back. They wanted to be with their mom. So then we started to go to Florida. I said, well, we can go to Florida then yeah. because we can yeah. go visit my mom, spend time with my family. And like we would go visit my wife's family in the summer because in Kaliningrad is very beautiful in the summer, but in the winter it's not so nice. So we would had a very beautiful circuit. We would be in Svalbard most of the year. The summer we would go to Kaliningrad, Russia, and then the winter we would go to Florida. Let me ask you something because Russia sure. Russia fascinates me. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, the Russian people fascinate me. I've I've met and, and worked with a lot of Russian citizens, but then you always hear this thing. Uh, uh, that kind of depicts Russia as this scary, uh, unwelcoming place. How did you experience the people of Russia when you were in Russia, you as a man of color? Uh, yeah. Because I hear a lot of stories of how Russia is very xenophobic. But for me, they're just stories. I don't know. I've never experienced yeah. it. Did you see any of that? I think, you know, how it is, and this is like, I think it can be. And like, because I'm lighter skinned, so they don't realize I have people in my family who are darker than some of the, you know, yeah. so like, they don't know what to expect. But when I went to Russia, I, like I, now I have a little Afro, but I had my hair kind of grown like a big Afro. Okay. You know, yeah. When I went to Russia and like, of course you have those people who, who are like that, but I would say they're the minority. I would say they're the minority and I would say that the maybe the media focuses on them yeah. because the majority of the people are very kind and they're like, it's, it's new for them. They don't have people like that. I mean, they have a few people like that there, so, but they don't, they don't know what to make of it. So no. maybe Russia is just like it is in the United States. There's racist people there, but most people are good. I think most people are good there because, for example, I can remember stories like just going out and like all of the Russian girls like trying to touch my hair and my <laughs> wife getting so jealous <laughs> and like they're just like looking at you yeah. like what is this like curiosity. you know what I mean curiosity I can remember uh I've, I've been in Norway for almost 20 years now I can remember the first time uh this, if we go back to 2002 when we were traveling to our place up on Ceylon up in Finnmark and back then, it was very rare to mm. see a brown-skinned man up there. Mm. And I had little kids coming up to me, and I didn't speak Norwegian at the time, but my wife would translate, and these little kids would come up to me asking me why I'm brown, why, as if, yeah. you know, what happened? Why are yeah. you brown? And, and it was yeah, just yeah. this charming curiosity um, that can't be. It can't even be compared with racism. I think sometimes people get a little hung up on that. Um, but I don't look at curiosity as racism. Curiosity is curiosity and it's, and it can be charming. So I would imagine that that, you know, that kind of curiosity that I experienced as a, as a black man up in Finnmark might be similar to what you experienced as a yeah. man of color in Russia. Curiosity, yes. simple curiosity. Yeah. And it's definitely there are some people who are, are, are like that, but I would sure, say sure. it's a, it's a minority compared to the yes. people like that in the U S yeah. I would say there's more people like that in the U.S. And I would so say would I. So would that, I. and I would say that I wish that we as Americans would stop exporting our racism to the world. 
because many thank you. people, thank you, many people around the world, they they judge based on language. They don't even really they see color, but it's not really a basis for them to determine like something. But yeah, the way we, I look at it, everybody, it yeah, yeah, we, every everybody sees color. I don't believe these people when they say I don't see color. That's a ridiculous thing to say. Everyone sees it. The question is, is what do you do about it? How do you exactly. treat that person because of their color? Do you treat exactly. them like a man or do you treat them like a black man or do you treat them like a black man who you don't like? Because he's black. It's, it's, you know, I so agree. there's all of that nuance there. Um, and, and, you know, my, and my gut has always told me that these things that they say about, uh, you know, I, I've had enough life experience and I've met enough people uh, to know that most people are good. I truly yes. believe that, that most people I are agree. good. So that's, that's the way I approach any new um, uh, society or new group of people that I'm introduced to. I treat them as if they're going to treat me good because that's what I yeah. expect that most. I mean, and what else do you have to base it off of? You have to start. You have to do it like that because you don't have anything to base it off of, well, right? Like exactly, you don't know the person. Exactly, yeah. exactly. We can't. We can't carry what we happened to us before to a new relationship. It's not really fair. Well, that's you know? something that I like. I like to speak on. I want to put the the word of positivity and acceptance out there because I, I just see more and more people slipping into this this. Um, this narrative that people are not to be trusted and i, I yeah. maybe maybe i'm uh, maybe i'm naive but i still trust people until they give yeah. me a reason not to and you don't have any i mean that's that's the fairest way to do it i, I think mean so. it's really I think it's so. really not right for us to bring all of our baggage of something that happened to to a new situation and then and then you 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 act differently when you're not trusting someone then of course you're going to act differently and then they're going to feel it and then it's just yeah. going to be like a self-fulfilling prophecy you know? and, and you having all of these different experiences in all of these different countries you've been around and you've seen that most people are good uh yeah you can't um i i think that that that's why i believe that travel and exposure to different people in different cultures is so important because mm -hmm. i believe that an intelligent person who experiences that can't help but fall in love with humanity. And, and when that happens, there's no room for racism. There's no yeah, room yeah. for discrimination. So more people need to have this adventurous spirit that you have and this desire to meet people and get out there. I, I just wanted to say that, you know, uh, big, yeah. big ups on you and the way you, you approach life and more people need to do it like that. I just wanted to say Thank that. You. I, appreciate, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. But but, yeah, but so where, back, where are we now? I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> we just jump, we're jumping all yeah. over the place here. Hang hang with us, people. Hang with us. <laughs> no, but my show my show is is natural conversation, and this is what a natural yeah. conversation does. It jumps. This is it. Yeah, this it is it right here. Um, what I'd like to know is, okay, <clears throat> your your children lived with you for a period. Then they moved back to Malaysia. Uh, we talked about how that affected you. It was kind of an eye opener about your role in relationship with your children as, as their father. Uh, and then we started talking, uh, or I asked you about uh, how did you get interested in, because you made a name for yourself uh, in, in Svalbard, um, um, to the point to where you're working on a book project right now as mm. we speak. Can you talk yes. a little bit about that? So that that was perfect. So that's where I was, was trying to go. So I'm basically starting to look at Svalbard more as a home than just a job. And the thing about Svalbard is everyone comes there, they take what they want, they take money, and then they leave. And I didn't understand. I felt like no one was giving anything back to this place. And 
you know, I spoke to this guy one day and I was like, why is it like, why is it like this? And he said, you have to understand that people are from, you know, Oslo, they're from here, they're from there, but nobody really says they're from Svalbard. And, I, and then that kind of hit me. I was yeah. like, so nobody really feels like it's like people say, oh, it's our home. But at the same time, it's like people do things on the mainland, for example, composting, yeah. growing their own uh, food. And then it's like soon as people get on that plane to go to Longyearbyen, they leave all of that at the airport. Yeah. You know, and then they just follow this, this the, what's happening there. So in Svalbard, it's like actually... Longyearbyen and Svalbard is one of the has one of the highest CO2 outputs per capita in the world. Whoa. And like if it was if Say it was that, again. One, that is news to me. Yeah. That Svalbard is news. And Longyearbyen has one of the highest CO2 outputs per capita. That's amazing. And if it was its own country, it would be like Qatar or one of these countries in the in the oh. UAE, like how high they have it. Because the main thing is we have a coal on one of Norway's only coal powered uh, power plants. Everything has to be shipped from Tromso, 1,500 kilometers up. And not only that, all of the garbage has to be shipped back to Tromso. And then you don't have, we have some local stuff, we have fish, but up until now, they haven't allowed the fish to be used locally. They're working on making it like a local fish industry. They've been talking about it for years. But that means that our fish there has to be sent down and we can only buy it back frozen. That sounds so counterintuitive. That sounds crazy. You can use it. You can fish for private use, but you can't fish to sell it. That sounds crazy. So, yeah. And then we have reindeers, but there's not so many reindeers. And like if five people want to apply to have a reindeer, maybe three people get and you only get one reindeer for a whole year. So it's not much meat. We have some birds, but you don't really, you're not allowed to bother the birds. So it's like we have some, um, some, a few edible plants, but it's not enough for everybody to go and kind of forage and, and pick the plants. So it's like, it's, it's insane. Like, and, and like my thoughts at this point were that, okay, I want to do my project because when I went to Svalbard, like I mentioned before, I had been working so much before I went to Svalbard. And then when I got a job on Svalbard, I was only working 7.5 hours a day and I had all of this free time. Yeah. Yeah. So then I was like, ah, oh, what do I want to do with all of this time? Because before I would just work and I wouldn't have time to think about all of the time. So then I started to think, think and do all of the things that I wanted to do back in the States that I didn't have time to do. So I wanted to start like my own garden. I wanted to start doing music. I wanted, like I was DJing at this um, nightclub there where they, they have this one little kind of bar. Yeah. And it was kind of a similar situation. They were looking for a DJ and I never DJ before, but I always loved music. I always, you know, yeah. this kind of thing. Yeah. So I, it was kind of similar. So then I sent them uh, my information and i was a chef at the hotel at that time so i sent them like a chef resume for a dj and then the the assistant manager was like yeah but this guy's not a dj they two people interviewed me yeah. and then the, the the big manager was like uh chef dj same shit just give him a try <laughs> i love it i love it i love it so, so then I started to DJ and that's like, you know, I needed a place to practice my music because it like the equipment started to take over the house. So I found this place that had like three rooms and like one room, of course, I needed for music equipment. But then there was another room that used to be like a bakery. And I was thinking what to do here. So then I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to start to grow food. And like I bought some hydroponic machines and I started to grow all different types of things. And like this pro project didn't start from me wanting to change the world. It didn't start from me wanting to, to, to be green. It just started from me wanting to have the freshest food. 
Because like I told you, my history was always to have fresh food. And I just started to grow for fun. And then it kind of evolved because, you know, had to buy fertilizer and to ship the fertilizer up was expensive. Like I would, yeah. like I could buy it from UK, for example, it was 25 euro, 25 pounds for like a five liter thing. And there would be 25 pounds to ship it. Yeah. So it was expensive. And I was thinking, wow, this can't be smart. There has to be a smarter way. So I started to go down this rabbit hole of like just finding out about different yeah. ideas and just experimenting. Yeah. So then I decided I wanted to compost and I was like, you know, I need worms, but you're not allowed to bring anything That's up right. to Svalbard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to have worms. So I had to apply for permission. And then they had this professor at the university center there called Unis. It's like at the university there. He wrote a paper saying that uh, the worms can be bad if I put them with the bird, for example, where the birds hang out because then they can continue. But I told him I want to keep them in the room and like have containers. And he said it shouldn't be a problem as long as I don't take them to certain areas. Okay. So that was like um, then I got like half permission. And then the final permission had to come from the Norwegian Environmental Agency. Then okay. it took like six months later and they finally approved for me to have worms. And I can imagine these Norwegians scratching their heads like, what does this crazy American guy want to do with worms, you know? <laughs> but I got permission. Month, a six month process <laughs> just to be allowed to have worms. Yeah. Yeah. So then I finally got permission. I remember I brought some worms with me from Florida. I think I started with like 1000 worms. or I, I don't remember exactly like 100 worms or something. 500 worms. And then I started and then it became like a thousand and they just kept producing. I was like composting, like I was collecting things from the restaurant because I was a head chef at a restaurant. Okay. Yeah. And I was collecting my organic waste. I started to compost it. So it just kind of evolved. I was just learning more about how the island worked. And another thing that uh, kind of got me thinking was that when, you know, a guy one day at the, when I was working at the, the hotel, he would, came up to me and like we had these huge garbage disposals. You press a button and you just drop all of the waste in there and then it just grinds it all up and then yeah. it magically disappears. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I just was naive. I just thought it just disappeared. And then one day a guy tapped me on my shoulder and he said, do you know what, what happens to that after it goes there? I said, no, no. What happens to it? He says it goes directly into the sea. And then I was like, oh, wow. Huh. So every everything from the pipes gets pipe directly into the sea. Huh. There's no treatment facility. There's huh. no, yeah. Just straight So up. then, you know, when, when someone says something like that to you, it just, it, it woke me up. I was like, okay, this is much deeper than I realized. So then after I found out that all of the organic, everything you put in the toilet, everything you put down the sink, it just gets piped directly into the sea. And then they said, uh, you know, the local government there says, oh, but it's, it's good circulation and this and that. But I just didn't see the point of shipping up all of these resources for such a high price, dumping it into the sea and then shipping it back up. So I just started to work like, how could I make a circle? How could I make it so that there's no waste, you know, no waste. So then I started with the, uh, I I had bought like a better composter and it just kept growing and growing. And I was getting like support from, from all over. And it was just a small project, but I think it was just the, the meaning behind it is what people gravitated to so much. And I just like, people were just so fascinated. Well, by it's it. that idea of create, as you said, create a circle of use, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. a productive circle of energy, um, of, of energy use of product yeah, yeah. use so that nothing is wasted because it's a waste to just throw it out into the ocean. There's something that yeah. can be done with that in the form of composting, which exactly. then can go towards sustainable food production. Yeah, exactly. So it, it just kept growing and growing like that. And then I, um, 
just kept growing and growing. And then we started to grow vegetables and we put them inside of the local supermarket. Uh-huh. And then it, it was nice. So we had our greens there and it was like what kind of know, the first time. How, how big of a production? Uh, microgreens, like microgreens and herbs. We were growing like, um, uh, what is it called? Peas and yeah. radish. And then we also had herbs like basil. We were growing like, um, I want to say parsley. We had it. We didn't how have big a, a of, big. Uh, how big of a production? Did you measure it in pounds or kil- um, kilograms? Uh, at one point, or? we would sell. We would sell a tray. A tray had like twenty pots in it, and we were selling that for like four hundred fifty kroners per tray. Okay. And, and then the herbs we were selling for. 35 kroners per pot, I think. And at, at the peak, at the peak, we were selling maybe 20 trays per week. Okay. So that yeah. sounds like it was financially viable that it was, it was getting there. It was getting there. Yeah. Everything was going. And then like the food production was the main reason I started it, but the main moneymaker for us was tourism because we were doing tours. I was doing like cooking classes. I was well, sure doing, people um, get curious about that. Yeah. 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 So the, the main money was coming from tourism and, and like, you know, that's where the bread and butter was for us. So it just kept evolving. I kept you get a lot of volunteers, a lot of interns, a lot of people interested. And then everything was going great. 2019 was a, an amazing year. And then 2020 with the COVID, they shut down all the tourism yeah. and then everything just died yeah Yeah, everything just died yeah and so it was really tough to climb out and it also became very political on Svalbard Um, how so well you know in Norway it's supposed to be like follow the rest of Europe and and they have it you know they can't really base it on where you're from or this and that but on Svalbard they started to base it on who was Norwegian and who was not Norwegian and so the government shut down the island, but then like it was like some critical money that was needed to get the businesses back together. And they decided that the money would only be used for Norwegian owned Norwegian companies. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So that meant us non-Norwegian owners just have to deal just with it. Lost, yeah. But it was it was like very critical at the time. It was very critical to get that money and it just, I, I wasn't able to get it and I wasn't able to keep it going. So I had to file bankruptcy and just, yeah let it go. But then after I filed the bankruptcy, uh, kind of like I was so, so depressed, you know, I was so I depressed after that. Yeah, I was so depressed. But you weren't but then, finished. You still no, have that adventure yeah. spirit. You still have that desire for self-development yes. and for doing something that's meaningful for your for the society around you. What yes. did that bankruptcy lead to? Yeah. So then what happened was I just left it alone. I took a new position on Lufoten. I run a restaurant here. And then I kept getting comments from people, you know, and there was just one comment that kind of pushed me over over the edge. Like normally I get the comments and I just say, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this lady, I think she's in Trondheim or something like that. She said, you know, Benjamin, I know you're bankrupt. I know that things look bad, but she said, you have inspired me so much. And I just kept getting these kind of messages like, oh, you inspired me. Oh, this project this. oh, this, that. And then she said, because of what you've done, I bought a small hotel. I'm setting up a farm. I'm modeling it how you did it. And I just wanted to say thank you. And that just kind of made me feel like, you know what? It's bigger than just what's, what was there on Svalbard. It was, it's much bigger than that. And so then I started to think, I was like, you know, what I was thinking about all of the experiences I had, everything I learned. And then I kind of came up with this, uh, like the mistakes that I made. I started going through the mistakes that I made. 
And I was thinking, how could I, how could that all have worked differently? And I was thinking like 10 things that I wish I would have known before that would have helped me to, you know, move things much quicker and much better. So then I was like, you know, what? I'm going to write a book about it. You know, I'm going to write a book because it's kind of necessary. And I felt like I, I just need to get it out of me. And, and like, it's just all these thoughts are inside of me and I need to get them out. I look at so, it like the Phoenix rising out of, <laughs> out of, out of the ashes of that bankruptcy yeah. comes beautiful, positive feedback from people. Yeah. And that fed yeah. your idea to writing this book. And now that yeah. book is going to rise up from all of that. I hope so. Because like, you know, it's just I, I, like I'm the book I'm unfolding. It's unfolding as I'm writing it. I kind of came up with an outline for it. I'm, I'm on to chapter three now. There'll be 10 chapters. And it's just basically things that I wish I would have known before yeah. that took me all these years to learn that I wish I would have known before. And I just hope that it can inspire others, that people can to can take it, can take something from it and apply it to their lives. And well, well, just like you wanted to have a viable uh, and self-sustaining food production on, on Svalbard, you wanted to give back to Svalbard. You talked about how everyone takes their yes. experience, their money and whatnot, and then they just leave. You are yes. building something that could be left there on Svalbard that can give back. Now you're, you're giving back to these people who have given you the feedback, telling you that you inspire them. You're giving back to them by putting your experience, uh, and your maybe a combination of mistakes and successes with what you did. Yeah. You're giving back to these people by putting it in book form. And I guarantee yeah. you that that's going to help some people. I know it's going to yeah. inspire people. You've already done that. And now mm -hmm. the book is going to inspire and help and guide people who want to do similar work like what you have done. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's not even so much about like, for me, I just feel like we all have these impossible missions in us that people yes. say, oh, it can't be done. And I remember how many people laughed at me when I said I wanted to do this. They called me crazy, you know, and all I said, I remember the day I was around a group of people and I said, I'm going to make Svalbard green, yeah. you know, and they looked and they were laughing and I was like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. But like I said that, I remember I said that I'm going to make it green here and everything I've been doing has been working. Like it was never about me. I was doing that for, for the place yes. because like I said, the choice was for me came down before it was like, well, I can go to Florida and do this or I can do it here. And something was like, well, what are you waiting for? Just start. Yeah. So then I started, I started doing it and I agreed to do it on Svalbard. Isn't that the answer to a lot of, you know, a lot of people want to do things and they just can't seem to get started, but isn't that the answer? Just get started. Yes. It doesn't have to be all planned out. You don't have to have everything you need to have success, but just get started. And then That's you'll right. start seeing the small, the micro challenges within that overall task that you want to complete. You'll see the micro challenges. And as you solve those smaller challenges, you're getting closer and closer to your end That's result. Right. And you can't That's get right. that unless you just start. That's right. Yeah. I remember when we were building this dome greenhouse because I bought this greenhouse from a guy who was in Alaska at the time, this dome greenhouse that everybody kind of saw. And like he built it in Alaska, he packaged it into a crate and then he shipped it to me. Wow. And then I can remember, I can remember getting this, opening this crate and like, okay, what do we do? We had no idea what we were doing. And then it was so interesting because it was like the right person would come at the right time get us to another step and then that person would go and then 
someone else would come, take us to the next step, and then that person would go. So it was like I was just learning how to work with people and how it wasn't about me. It was like it was coming from somewhere else. And that's what it's all about. If you're open, if you are receptive to positivity and positive people, that openness, that willingness to to be open to, to suggestion and to help from others will push you further along on your journey. And you're a, yeah. you're a living testament to that. Yeah. And that's how the whole project's been. It's just been people coming, bringing their knowledge, spending their time, and then they go. And then, and then it just kind of kept, like you said, like a snowball, just kept getting bigger and bigger. And eventually we got to a point where it made sense. What is this thing where people have to be, you know, you said people laughed at you and I, I can identify with that. You know, I'm, there's things I'm doing with, with my podcast and with my radio program and people laugh. Yeah. Uh, I got some hate here just in the past week from, uh, from people online. Another of all things, another American in Norway putting out hate. Uh, and it's like, that's no good. where does that come from? Why can't we all just support each other? You know, John, I, I, I think that it's, it, it seems bad, but from my experience, I think we need those kind of people because they push us. They speak on like speak I, I can't. Yeah. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. And like all I know is that if 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 I didn't have some of those situations, then I probably wouldn't have pushed as hard as I did because I was doing it to spite those people. You know, I agree and I was with you one hundred percent. Yeah, as, and as, I was doing it to. Yeah. So no, I was gonna say. Like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but as, as frustrating as that negative uh, element can be, I turn it into inspiration. And then and you also to have to, forward. well, and you also have to have the the maturity and the self analysis. You have to go through that self analysis process and think, okay, this person who's hating this part, these people who are negative, is there anything to it? Are they right in some way? Mm. You know what I mean? So you have to do yeah. that, or I do that self analysis. Like, you know what? He's being an asshole, but he is right about that one point. So maybe I need to work on that. You see what I'm saying? So, and, and I'll, and I'll take that negative feedback and try to turn it or not try, but turn it into some form of motivation. And it will always cause me to go into that self analysis phase. And when you yeah. analyze yourself, that's growth. That's what that's called. Yeah. It's called growth. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah. And I, I think also it's just, uh, like you said, it just helps us to, to correct course. Cause sometimes yes. we can get off course Absolutely. You know? and, if, yeah. and like you said, if there's something valid to it, then we should be able to accept that. But yes. it's, if it's just like all, you know, negative kind of things, if it's nothing constructive, then I just like in one ear and out the other ear, yeah, you know, yeah, and I'm yeah. just grabbing the piece, the bits and pieces that make sense that I can use to get better. Because for me, I think I don't really see it as we're in competition. I, I think we're in competition with ourselves to become the best us that we can become. Yes, you yes. Know? I believe so. that, you know, I, I have my journey. I have my things that I want to get done, but my eyes are always open to, you know, I mean, that's, that's why I do this podcast and this radio show. I want to talk to people like you, people who uh, motivate me, people who inspire me, um, uh, people who I think I can learn something from. Uh, I agree. And, and again, you, you, I feel that we have to be open to that regardless of what kind of journey we're on, we have to be open to the perspective of others. We are yeah. a community, you know? I think that's where the creativity comes from, John. Because I think so. like I, I, I think like, and how something that it made me 
inspired one day was when someone like especially when you're like an artistic and very creative person you have to kind of look at something and think how it would translate into another yes. medium for yeah. example if you see a painting and then you imagine how would this sound you know yeah. or if you see something you say how would this taste that's where the creativity comes from yeah. so i don't see why i think we should be able to listen to many different uh viewpoints and be able yeah. to to get some process it and get something out of it. You are a very creative, um, deep thinking brother. You're, you're not finished. You're going to write this book. Yes. I'm and excited. Then something, and, then some, and then something else is going to happen after that. Are you thinking that far ahead? What's, what's next for you further down the line? I think the goal now is to get the book done. And then uh, I just take it step by step because I, I'm still working here, getting this restaurant organized. I don't want to, you know, get too like, uh, that's also one of my weaknesses. That I, I, I like to put too many fires into the, you know, so irons into yeah, the fire. Yeah, so yeah. for me now, I think I want to focus on getting this book done. And my, my goal has been focusing 30 minutes per day to write. That's beautiful. So, yeah. you know, you have to break it down into manageable chunks because do. otherwise it doesn't get done. So I'm focused yeah. 30 minutes per day. I just write. So 30 minutes I, a day. You don't you don't think about a certain number of words. You just think you're going to focus on it for 30 minutes. Or Yeah, I, 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 I do it for 30 minutes and then I post a one minute video just kind of updating. So it, it, the video for me, I post it on all my social media. It's kind of like accountability for I me. See. Like, yeah. I don't care if people watch it. If they don't watch it, it's not my problem. But it's the thing accountability is, for it's, you. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do the 30 minutes that I say I'm going to do and I and I document it and, and talk about what I covered, you know, during this 30 minutes. That's beautiful. So it's like the journey. I'm trying to enjoy the journey and I'm not so much worried about the destination. Yeah, the book's going to get done. Yeah. It's definitely going to get done. But like my problem before, I wouldn't say problem, but my thing before was that I was always so focused looking ahead at, you know, the yeah. destination that you miss all of the beauty, all of the magic and, yes. and making it, yes. you know? Well, that 30 minutes of focusing on the writing right there, that can be a very grounding experience that keeps you in the moment and yes. pulls you back if you start looking too far ahead. So that's a very that's right. good idea, man. 30 minutes yeah, a day. So who 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 can't cut out 30 minutes of their day for themselves? Anybody can. But it's it. harder than but it we, seems. Exactly. It's harder than it seems, exactly. you know? You have, to, you, we, you have to put that effort into, into doing that. But once you start doing it and once you start reaping the benefits of taking that time out for yourself, it becomes a lifestyle. It's not something that you have to do anymore. It becomes a habit, a good habit. It becomes right. part of your lifestyle. That's yeah. right. So I just focus on the 30 minutes and then I also, you know, have a lot of things to do for the restaurant. So I can't yeah. like focus too much on everything else. But yeah. like as long as I give my 30 minutes first, like I, I like to do it in the morning when I wake up, then I do the 30 minutes, get it done. And then I can go on with my day. Where are you living? In, where are you living in Lofoten? Uh, Balsta. It's like Balsta, the largest yeah. fish. Yeah, it's a uh, Vestvagai. Yep. It's yep. the largest fishing village here. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful place. I really love it. I love the I love the restaurant. I, I love the access to all of the like everything that I was trying to do on Svalbard. It's already available here. Yeah. So it's like a totally different experience. There was nothing. I was building it from nothing, and then here everything is here. So it's like, I, I guess it was meant for me to. To progress like that, yeah. you know? So everything works out. See, people? It works out. For anybody yeah. that's listening, most things work out. Most things work out. Yeah. You have that hard time. You know, you had to go through a bankruptcy. You had to stop the work you were doing at Svalbard. But look what it brought you to. Yeah. And I think that's also important because sometimes we're doing the work and maybe it's not the best thing for us to be doing. And sometimes it's hard to stop, you know, because you're so... Like, there's a, there's a line, you know? There's a line between... Yeah. 
you know, people say, well, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. There's a, there's a line that you have to stop. Yes. Yeah. You know? Well, that goes back to that self-evaluation that I talked about. We have to go through these periods of introspection and we start, we have to analyze ourselves and just check ourselves, if you will, and find, you know, take a look around. Am I, am I where I need to be? Am I doing what I truly want to do? Or am I ignoring other aspects of my life that I would like to work on? You know, stop up and take that evaluation and then move forward. That's my, that's my advice to everybody. I like to look at it like more like, um, you know, my time on Svalbard, I was more like a caterpillar and I was afraid, I was afraid of becoming a butterfly because I didn't understand. And I just kept doing it the same way. But then the the way everything happened, it allowed me to be able to go into cocoon. And then I came out as a butterfly and then I feel like much lighter. I feel like Uh, I can see, I have a better view because before a caterpillar, you're just on a tree. You don't really see. Now I'm a butterfly. I can float around. I can see, I can observe better. So I kind of like to, equated to that kind of I love situation. It. Listen, yeah. listen, Benjamin, let me ask you something. Uh, as, as we wind this up, I want to ask you to do two favors for me. Okay. Like I said, the whole purpose of my program here is to have these conversations with people like you, people who motivate me, inspire me, people who I think I can learn something from. And you fit all three of those categories. Oh, thank you, you so much. I, just, yeah. uh, I, I call you friend and I call you brother. Uh, we are friends. Yeah. Definitely. Let me let me let me ask you to do this for me. Just as you have inspired me, uh, you know, if we go back to the beginning of the conversation, where I started off with a less than positive statement, <laughs> but you told you you showed me how you know, perspective can show that things aren't really as bad as they are. Mm. Is there something you can say to my listeners and to my viewers, some words of encouragement, um, uh, uh, just a couple of sentences that you think people can take with them and carry them forward through their journey in life? What's your advice to my viewers and my listeners right now? My, my advice would be that, you know, to keep dreaming, because as soon as you stop dreaming, everything's dead. To keep dreaming and to start now, you know, and it, impossible is not as impossible as you think it is. You know, they, they, I remember there's a lot of press, a lot of articles, oh, and it was impossible for him to do this, impossible for that. But you just have to, you have to make the, you know, do what you can with what you have. Yes. And don't worry about, don't worry about what you don't have. Just focus on what you have right now and start now. That's my, that would be my advice. Whatever it is you want to do, you can do it. I love you know, it. But you have to start it. You have to start it now. I love it. Thank you for that. I'm sure yeah. people can use that in their day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. And here's the last thing I'd like to ask of you. I'm going to say three words and then I'd like for you to finish the sentence. One sentence. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. Benjamin Vidma is... Oh, Benjamin Vidmar is ready for 2022. I'm ready for 2022. I'm ready to, you know, finish this year up, start a new year, go in with a positive attitude and just ready for 2022. You know, yeah. We just, we just have to do it. We are, we are the ones So we have to be the change we want to see. We are the ones who are going to, to make everything better. So. Amen. I think that's beautiful yeah. words from a beautiful and loving brother like yourself. I appreciate um, that. Thank you. Look, man, I, I want to say, I want to say this and I mean this, I you are one of the most interesting minds, American minds in Norway. I appreciate that. 
Thank There's, you. you. You have made me very curious about the way you live your life, uh, very curious about the way you do the things you do. I'm looking forward to your book uh, coming out. When you know uh, a date on when your book is coming out, let me know, and I'm going to yeah. push it. I'm going to push that out there to anybody yeah. who's listening or watching because. Uh, I know it's going to be good for me to read. If I, if I can yeah. get something out of it, I'm sure everybody can. So I'm looking forward yeah. to that book coming. I appreciate it. I'm self-publishing. I'm doing it all myself. So it's a whole process of learning how, how to do it. Beautiful. So I, I don't have it. It's not like I have some big publisher and it's set in. in this so I have project. no idea. This is it's all project. me. Yeah. And I have no idea when it's going to be done. But for me, the main goal is to just get it written and get it all yeah. on paper. Yeah. And then I have to course edit and have proofreading and this yeah. and that. So, but it's going to be, it's going to take some time, but I, I keep everyone updated. Just follow on my social media. Uh, Where do they find you? Where, where can they find you on social media? Um, well, I'm, I, I mainly po post on TikTok this, uh, cause you can do, I do like a one minute video and then I share it to all the other media. So I think on TikTok is author Benjamin. Um, and then everywhere else is Benjamin Vitmar or Benjamin L. Vitmar. So you just put that in and it should pop up. Well, I'm pulling for you. I'm pushing for you. I want to wish you all the best in everything you do. This is not the last time we speak. When you're when your no, book, no, just the, when yeah, your just book is released or when there's anything else going on in your life uh, of significance, I'm going to be in touch. I'm going to ask you to come back. I appreciate um, it. I appreciate you, Benjamin. Thank you so much for gracing my program. Uh, I'm pulling for you, man. I love you to Thank death. You so Thank you so much. I love Benjamin. you as well. Happy New Year to you and your family, and yeah, all the best for 2022. Thank you so much. Happy New Year yeah. to you and your family as well, Benjamin. Okay. Take Benjamin care. Vidmar, everybody. Bye now. <laughs>